0: We're going to do some treaching this evening. I don't feel ultra, ultra preachy, but uh, I'm, not, I'm not just a, a teacher teacher all the time. And so we're going to do our best to break this down tonight and talk about some things that I have really felt the Lord dealing with me about, uh, especially today here in the sanctuary, just talking to the Lord about tonight. And uh, I feel like we have some pretty clear direction on where we're going And uh, I want you to just join me tonight in Joshua chapter 1. Let's begin at verse number 1. Now, after the death of Moses, the servant of the Lord, it came to pass. Somebody say, after Moses died, it came to pass. That the Lord spake unto Joshua, the son of Nun, he was Moses' minister. This is what he's called in the book of Exodus the 24th chapter, that he is a minister unto Moses. The Lord says to Joshua, Moses, my servant, is dead. Moses has done everything for us that he can. Now I need you to arise. Go over this Jordan. You and all of this people unto the land which I do give to them, even to the children of Israel. Now, I want you to just notice this language with me as we go. We're going to come back and visit this, but notice the language. Every place that the sole of your foot shall tread upon, that have I given unto you. What's this last line right here? As I said unto Moses. From the wilderness and this Lebanon even unto the great river, the river Euphrates, all the land of the Hittites and unto the great sea toward the going down of the sun shall be your coast. Oh, my. There shall not any man be able to stand before thee all the days of thy life as what? As I was with Moses. So I will be with thee. I will not fail thee, nor Forsake thee, be strong and of good courage, for unto this people shalt thou divide for an inheritance the land, which I swear unto their fathers to give them. Only be thou strong and very courageous, that thou mayest observe to do according to all the law, what's that say? Which Moses, my servant, commanded thee, turn not from it to the right hand or to the left hand, that thou mayest prosper whithersoever thou goest. You can read that one of two ways. You can read that as to say, if you don't turn to the right hand or the left hand, you're going to prosper. You could also look at that as to say, don't turn to the right or the left hand, that you will prosper. Don't think that because you turn left or right, that's going to bring you prosperity. Stay focused. Keep doing what you know to do. If you believe it, say amen. Amen. Now, verse 8, I would like for us to read this together. It's our focus verse this week. So powerful. Let's read together. This book of the law shall not depart out of thy mouth, but thou shalt meditate therein day and night that thou mayest observe to do according to all that is written therein. For then thou shalt make thy way prosperous And then thou shalt have good success. So you see what I'm saying in verse 7. If you read it in that direction and understanding, he says, Don't turn to the right or the left, that thy way may be prosperous. Because in verse 8 he says, When you do what's in the word, then you will be prosperous and have success. So however you want to read that, it's the same exact message. Don't turn to the right or the left, because I want you to be prosperous. But you don't have to go right or go left to prosper. What you have to do to prosper and have success is stay in the word. Stay in the word. Tonight, I don't have a real catchy title for you. I just, I want to talk to you out of this chapter. But I'm going to talk to you out of the sincerity of my heart. uh, Of a place that I believe that God is calling us to, that we have been. Um, I don't know how this is going to end up tonight, but I do feel like we've got clear direction so I'm going to ask you, if you would, to take your Bibles and put them on the pew behind you. And let us lift up the name of the Lord and ask for his word to take root in our hearts. Would you join me right now? I'm asking you to lift your voice and pray. Would you do that? In the name of Jesus, Father, we need you. We need you to speak, God. We need your powerful word to come alive in us tonight. We believe in you for greater things, God. In the precious name of the living God. Praise the living God. Somebody say amen, amen, and you may be seated in Jesus' mighty name. Thank you for standing in honor and respect to the word of God. I do appreciate this church's love for the word. It is a word church, and I'm very thankful for that. So I'm going to deal with some things tonight that I feel like I'm going to sound like my mom for just a minute. There is a, uh, there's this breakdown in human nature that I've never really quite got a hold of. And I think every mom that's worth her salt has probably asked this question that I'm getting ready to pose to you. But this breakdown in the mind of a human being is that just because somebody else did it, It's okay for you to do it. And my mom had this depth of wisdom in this question that she would ask. And I'm certain that she did not coin this question because I've heard it. The question was, well, if he jumped off a bridge, are you going to jump off a bridge? And I used to be able to say no until Dan Mundy and Chuck Jones jumped off of a bridge And then I did. So my answer was yes. However, I have watched people do things, observing things in life. You know, I feel like a good leader is one that has learned not only what to do from those that have preceded them in life, but also what not to do. And I think that... um, one of the strongest leadership principles you'll find whether you're studying uh, Roan or Maxwell or whoever you decide to study for your leadership principles is that when they begin to define insanity, it always comes back to a pretty simple principle that the definition of insanity is doing the same thing over and over and expecting a different result. Yes, society seems to fall into that pit over and over and over and over. Yes, society is not really my concern. My concern deals directly with the body of Christ. My concern deals directly with every generation of young people that come through the body of Christ, and our kids aren't in here tonight, they're in their own youth service, and so I'm not going to pick on them, but I do want to say that I've never understood why every generation has to have that element of backsliders in the youth group, that have to learn their lesson their way, because... When their parents or grandparents backslid, their testimony wasn't good enough for that kid. So they've got to learn their own way. That when you leave the church, you're going to get some hard knocks and it's going to hurt. And you're going to bump your chin. And you're going to come back with some scars and have to be healed with some things that you should have never had in the first place. And at some point in your life... You're going to read Luke chapter 15 and it's going to kick in and make sense to you that it's always been better at your daddy's house. You're going to come to a point in your life where you get frustrated with people, you get frustrated with God, you get frustrated with ministry, you get frustrated with the church as a whole. And so people are going to learn their lesson. They're either going to learn that the best thing you can do is put your seatbelt on. Forgive me if this sounds abrasive, but just put your big boy pants on, square your shoulders up, and face the world and know that life is going to get tough. It's not God's fault. He's still worthy of the praise. He still deserves the honor. He still deserves the glory. And it's still a really good thing for me to be faithful to God. Amen? And so, kind of what happens, and you can see this throughout the scripture, this is not an American thing. This is a people thing. And people are people all over the world. I've been blessed to travel this globe quite a bit. And uh, I've been blessed to travel quite a bit even with... uh, My uncle that is here tonight, Brother Bingham, who I'm so very glad that he is here. And the last trip that he and I took together was to South Africa, and we were uh, on many occasions on that trip in some way, shape, or form having the conversation that it just doesn't matter where you go. People all over the world are people. They're the same. And when when they're saints... They get frustrated with the same thing that American church people get frustrated with. It's like it doesn't matter where you go, it is not a Pentecostal culture, it is a people culture. That people are people. Somebody say that. And I want to tell you that the same thing that was in the children of Israel is in you the desire to go a whoring after other gods, the desire to look at the prosperity of the wicked. The desire to look at all the things that look like the world is going their way. And that if you would but compromise the way that you have lived for God, then you too would be blessed like they were blessed. And so we as humanity, at least most of us, truly desire success. Now, I don't want this to like get real crooked on me right here, but I, I want to tell you, I sincerely... Don't believe I could have always made this statement, but I want to say that I believe that there really are a few people in my world, in my world, that don't want success. And you can't do anything for people that don't want to be helped. You understand what I'm saying? But the average bear that wakes up every day says within themselves at some point in life, there's got to be something better than this. And so I think we all want success. You know, I, I'm i not all about uh, having a finer house next year than I had this year. I'm not all about having uh, more cash in the bank tomorrow than I had today. That's not my driving goal, but I do want to be better tomorrow than I was today. Right. Every day that I wake up, I want to be a little bit better. I want to learn something else. I want to be successful. I want to find out what I missed yesterday that I could pick up on today. Is this... Is this is this all right? I'm just talking to you practically right now that I want to do better with myself. When I cross the finish line, I don't want to have left a bunch of stuff behind me that I could have accomplished. I want to be successful. I don't just want to pastor the same size church until the day that I turn this church to somebody else and somebody else takes it or the Lord comes back. That, my goal was never, ever, ever in ministry to just be mediocre and, uh, and preach the same three sermons and just go in this circle and whatever happens, happens. I want to be a better preacher. I want to be a better father. I want to be a better husband. I want to be a better pastor. Everything I do, I want to be better tomorrow than I was today. And there's nothing wrong with desiring to do better. This comes back to the beginning of creation when God created man. And I want to hurry through this but not hurry so fast that you don't get where I'm coming from so you can go where I'm going. But when God created created man, he told him the very first thing that mankind heard when God breathed breath into his nostrils, that breath of life, and man became a living soul. The first thing recorded that man's ears heard was be fruitful and multiply. Be blessed. Have dominion. The will of God for man is do better. Multiply. Do something with your life. Have dominion. And so what happens in just a short period of time, we don't have uh, how many days it was, how long it happened. There are theories out there. I don't want to get into that. What I do want, want you to understand is that God put it within mankind to be fruitful. He put it in mankind to be blessed. He put it in mankind to have success. But where man goes wrong is when they're not willing to define their success By God's definition of success. I hope I'm not leaving you right now because this is very, very, very important. If I could say it another way, I will say it to you like this. Just because the world does not look at you and call you successful does not mean you're a failure. I'm saying to you that I want to do better, I want to, I want to be the best that I can be, I don't just want to be mediocre at anything that I do, but if I never get better at anything else I do, if I'm never a better builder, a better pilot, a better preacher, a better anything that I do, I've got to make heaven my home, period. Period. And if I don't accomplish anything else in this life than being sure that my children know the truth and that I am saved, I have accomplished much in this world. The world may not look at me and say, that guy is successful. They may not look at me and think I'm successful. But I know one thing, God put something in me that's greater than building wealth and success in this world, and that is a desire to please him. And if you study the history of man, you understand that doing things on your own terms and your own measure displaces you from the will of God. Now think about this, if you would please. God creates the most magnificent structure in six days literally tells these two people anything you want, you can have. There is one tree in the middle of the garden. Stay away from it. If there is a picture that is drawn for me whatsoever in the fall of man, it can be clearly defined in this understanding. They had far more to lose than they had to gain. That's worth the price of admission right there, folks. When you look at the big picture, they had one thing that they wanted to gain, but everything that God gave them, they had to lose. I have grown up in ministry, around ministry, in ministry homes. I've grown up around some of the most amazing preachers that you have ever heard in your life. I've been around some of the most godly people that you could ever imagine. And when I say that, I'm not talking about godly people in a pulpit. I'm talking about godly people. I'm talking about people that have sat across the desk from the IRS and they look at them and say to them, there's no way you could pay that much money to your church and make what you make. It's impossible. Because they're godly people. And that man was able to look at that IRS and say, I, I haven't spent a dime on drugs. I haven't spent a dime... At the casino, I haven't spent a dime on alcohol. What I've given, you got the paper in front of you. I gave that to God because that's what my family does. I'm talking about godly people. Like, you can walk in and catch them praying any time. You can invite them to go out to eat just about any time, and they could turn you down because they're on an extended fast. I'm talking about godly people. I have been around godly, godly people all my life. And I want to tell you that I have seen some really, really godly people fall. Boy, it just kind of got tight right there, didn't it? That's not really where you thought I was going, was it? I have seen godly people that did everything in my eyes the right way. And they were great, great people. But I've received the phone calls about those men and those women. That they got weak, turned to the right, turned to the left. I I could stand up here tonight and tell you stories about people that would literally make the hair stand up on the back of your neck. Of people that have been in the presence of God, that have walked in amazing places with God, deep places with God. Have experienced mind-blowing experiences with God. And all it took was them to just get carnal. Oh yeah, pastor, that's a shame You know, I've seen people do that You know, this is not a new thing For we are absolutely admonished by the apostle to Let him that thinks he stands Take heed I mean, how much more can he say Other than That I have a great fear in my life He said Paul said, I really have a fear in my life That when I have preached unto you That I myself would become a castaway. Paul has been in the presence of God. Seeing great and mighty things happen. But he said there is always that possibility within me. That when I would do good. Evil is always present with me. And at any moment if I let my guard down. I too could become a castaway. Yes. You cannot get. So spiritual and so connected to God that that tree does not look good to you. Ooh wee. Can you all stay with me for the introduction? Okay, let me take you to a journey. Let me take you to a place. It's not really somewhere where you want to go. Not some place I've always wanted to visit. Especially not under these circumstances. But let me take you to a place called Patmos. Can we walk to Patmos together? Can I take you there with a man that was a godly man? Oh, yeah. Folks, I'm talking about a godly man. I'm talking about a man that stood for God when most of us would have sat down. I'm talking about a man that was boiled in oil and they did not kill him. And so the double jeopardy ideology of the Romans was, well, we can't try to kill him again, so the only thing we can do is exile him, put him out there on the island, let him die. So he's out in the middle of the water on on the Isle of Patmos We we know the story about John for the most part He's there Uh, The whole book opens up in Revelation By him saying I got in the spirit on the Lord's day and I heard this voice behind me Now somebody shout to me What was the voice that he heard? Who was the voice? It was the voice of the Lord It was the Alpha, the Omega, the beginning and the end, the first the last. The one which was and is and is to come. It was the Almighty. John, somebody say, in the Spirit. Spirit. On the Lord's Day. I'm talking about visions that would have made most of us come out of that trance and take off running and jump off into the water and don't care if we come back up. You'd run across the stony ground of Patmos if you looked up, uh, been praying, and you looked up and saw this beast with um, seven heads and ten horns and yeah. wounded heads, and a woman riding on this beast. And I mean, I'm gonna tell you folks right now that there have been folks said they saw stuff like that. We just knew they were tripping. <laughs> Welcome to Woodstock. John's looking, folks, he's looking into a different dimension. You understand what I'm saying? He's looking beyond this present world. The man literally sees New Jerusalem coming down in a vision. Sees the throne, one singular throne, and he that sat on it, John saw the throne. Can you imagine? Like we've all waited for that moment, and John sees the throne. Oh, Can you believe how majestic, how incredible that this is what I've waited for all my life? There it is. Surely, he thought momentarily, I guess I've died and gone to heaven. And then all of a sudden, in the midst of this vision, in the spirit, on the Lord's day, I'm talking, you can't get any more spiritual, folks, than seeing the throne of God and God sitting on the throne. There it is. <laughs> That's the throne. All my questions have been answered. I was there at the, bay, at the foot of the cross. I was there when he ascended. All my questions are answered. There it is. That's it. Now I know his purpose. I, I, I saw it unfold. I saw the lamb come and take the book. Man, I saw it. I know it, it all makes sense to me now. I've seen it. And in the middle of this vision, he said this woman comes riding up. He said she was babbling. He said I saw Babylon come riding up. Folks, I don't know how to, I don't know how to do this without just saying it over and over and over again. I'm talking about in the spirit on the Lord's day, been bold and all, been a righteous man, and he's standing here looking at the throne of God, and in the next vision he looks up, and this beautiful woman comes his way, and he said, and when I looked at her, he said I was. I was blown away at her beauty. He said, I looked at her with the greatest of admiration. And while I was looking at her, he must have just got plumb cross-eyed and googly-eyed because the angel of the Lord had to smite him. I mean, God literally, literally reaches down, smacks him upside the head and said, Don't look at her like that. You know what God was saying? You have just focused on the one thing you think you have to gain. But look at what you got to lose. You don't ever get in such a spiritual place that she's not beautiful. You'll never get so spiritual that that tree does not look good for you to eat. I mean, my God, how much better can it get? than the Lord coming to you every day in the cool of the day and walking with you. You, I mean, is that spiritual enough? You were literally formed by the hand of God, the first creation, no other distraction, and the one thing God said you can't have. Oh man, but look at what I got to gain. I would know something then that I don't know now. Yeah, but look at what you've lost. And so this drive for success is within us. I want to do better. I want to better myself. I want to I do that. And there is always a greater pressure, and I can speak from experience. There is always a greater pressure, uh, uh, pressure for you to be successful when you are somewhat the in, inheritor of great things. Now, folks, I'm not going to spend a lot of time here, and I don't have to tell you much. This is This is. A, it's kind of a... Uh, sweet thing for me to be from a line of great 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 preachers I know there's not there's not very many people in this church anymore that have ever even heard my grandfather preach my wife and I've been married 18 years she's never heard him preach but I'm telling you Bishop Bingham was a preacher's preacher yes, am I telling you the truth yes, I've seen the man stand up and preach conferences move him to their feet move him to their face I've man, I've had I've heard him preach hell so hot my skin was hurting on the soles of my feet. Amen. I know what it's like to be raised in the home of <laughs> of people that are in demand. Mike Bingham and Danny Saint Clair and oh my goodness. Yeah. And you're like they're inviting you to come preach stuff and. You get up and preach, and for the first 20 years of your ministry, it's never like you did good. It's like you're a chip off the old block. I go preach one place, and they say, man, you preach just like your grandpa. I go preach somewhere else, and they're like, dude, you're like Mike Bingham personified. I go somewhere else, and they're like, you're Danny St. Clair all over again. I'm like, yeah, but I'm just just me. But you become the sum total of what has been invested in you. You understand what I'm saying? And so you you get this desire for success. Folks, I cannot tell you how great the pressure had to be on the shoulders of Moses. When God takes him to the backside of a desert and says, all right, big daddy. You're fixing to go back to the people that have fed you for a lifetime. They've been good to you, and if it wasn't for them, you'd have been eaten by a crocodile in the Nile River. They brought you in their house. They made you a prince in Egypt. They have adopted you. They gave you the best life that you could ever have in this world. And you're going to go back to them and tell them, I refuse to be your child anymore. Me and my people were leaving. Think about it. If all is as it appears, more than likely, the the, the man that was the Pharaoh at the time, Moses could have walked into that man and called him Papa. Grandfather. This was a man that was connected to and related to the family that adopted Moses. And he walks into the throne room and he says, let my people go. Think about the power of that. This has been your people for a lifetime. But now you're going to tell your people that your people are out there and you're leaving with them. You're going to be the first generation to take a stand and tell Pharaoh, according to Hebrews, way, way off in the New Testament, that by faith you refuse to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter, choosing to suffer the affliction of Christ. Yeah. Come on, Come on. And so he squares up his shoulders after he has this little talk with God. And he comes back in and it takes ten plagues for him to get convinced and for Pharaoh to get convinced God's in this. God uses him mightily. I'm talking about a mighty man of God. You ever notice that Moses is talking to God and telling God while he's talking to God, I can't talk. Think about the, the logic of that. I, I, I'm not a man of speech. I, I, I can't go back in there and tell them, I don't know how to say this. I don't know how to talk. He knew how to talk good enough to tell God he didn't know how to talk. God uses him, and it rests on him. They lead him out, and first night, as it gets dark, and the enemy's pressing up against him. Y'all know the story? Yep. Yeah. Talking about waters parting. Maybe three million people, possibly. Walking abreast, shoulder to shoulder. Can you imagine the line? You think it's bad at Starbucks drive through Trying to get out So here they are in the wilderness 72 hours later Bitter waters, man, God makes them sweet There it is, it's sweet Look at that I'm talking about this happened under Moses Get out in the middle of the wilderness, man, they're all, they're all hungry So Moses calls on the name of the Lord Boom, 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 boom Here it comes, here comes the manna They get sick of manna, Moses calls on the name of the Lord Boom, here comes quails stacked up You understand what I'm saying? I'm talking about a man of god So God gets finished with Moses. He says, it's time now, Joshua. You're the crossover guy. And as soon as God starts dealing with Joshua, this is what he says to him. I know you want success. But I'm going to deal with you like I dealt with him. And what I told him, I'm going to tell you. Because just because leadership changes does not mean the promise has changed. You're a new generation of leadership. But Joshua, understand you cannot afford to let the law depart from your mouth. Now I wish I had time to really, really teach this to you and and, and connect some dots. The, The very name Joshua we can, we can take the root of the name Joshua and connect it to the name Jesus, Yeshua. We can, we can bring all this together that Joshua, and, and I was driving down the road thinking today, how in the world am I going to do all this in such a hurry? But there's so many types and shadows and things that we can pull together that Joshua is a type and shadow of Christ, leading people into the promise. We can, man, we can see that they come out of Egypt, and then he takes them over to the promised land. It's a powerful, powerful deal. And so Jesus is kind of, if you would, bringing us into a new dispensation. It's now a dispensation of grace. And so everybody's looking at Yeshua. Oh, they're thinking finally somebody to lift the burden of the law off of us. Somebody that can take uh, Israel and reconcile us and bring us back together and- Throw our enemies off of us and take care of all this business. And so Jesus comes on the scene and John is talking about him. Oh, my goodness, here he is. The Lamb of God takes away the sins of the world. And Jesus comes walking on the scene. And they start talking to Jesus about the law and said, Now, Moses said this to us. What are your thoughts about that? Jesus said, My thoughts on that are this is what the law says. But if I was you, I wouldn't even get close to the law. I'd build some fences in my life and say, wait. And they're looking at, they're like, but I thought, I thought grace was supposed to be easier. The day that you realize grace is the buffer between you and the law. It doesn't negate the power of the law. He said, you have heard it said that if a man lay with a woman, commit adultery. Then he's bestowed on the gate, but I say unto you. He said, you have heard it said of old, but I say unto you. Grace said, I am the buffer between you and the mess up. You can't afford to look to the right or the left. That's not success. True success comes... When you realize and understand that a new dimension, a new dispensation, new mercy, new grace, that doesn't put us in a beautiful, equal opportunity place that we can sin as much as they sin because they prospered when they sinned. And if they got by with it, then I can get by with it and I'll still make it to heaven. My Lord, I just preached a month's worth of revival right there. And we start looking at, oh, well, you, you know, uh, I don't think Moses did everything right, Lord, so... Since Moses didn't do everything right, this is my idea. He said, Joshua, as I dealt with Moses, I'm going to deal with you. As I spoke to Moses, I'm going to speak to you. And the law that I gave to Moses, it is said more than likely that when the Lord said to him in verse 8, don't let, don't let this book of this law depart from your mouth, that he was standing there holding the scroll of the book of Deuteronomy. Wow. Stand there with the law in front of him. He says, don't let it depart out of your mouth. And meditate it daytime, nighttime, every day. Day and night, meditate on it. Get with it. Stay with it. Keep it in your heart. Keep it in your life. Yeah, but I'm the crossover guy. Shouldn't I make this a little bit easier? I think we could have a little bit quicker success if we could like back off this 613 law thing just a little bit. My feeling is that the crossover generation, Lord, we ought to be able some way, somehow, to make this just a little bit easier. Wow. I was talking today to uh, some of my family. We were having a conversation about some things. I'm not going to go into it too deep, but we were talking about some, some compromising situation. And I said, you know, the issue is when nothing matters, nothing matters. When you, when you cease to become concerned about the things that concern God, yeah. nothing matters. So you might as well just come together and have good church. But pastor, this is the end time church. We're the crossover generation. I believe we're going to see the coming of the Lord. Exactly. And that is exactly why we cannot afford to meditate on something else than what has brought us to where we are today. Yeah, but I think, man, I think if you could figure out some way to preach this and teach this just a little bit easier and and, and work this thing around. Do you know what, folks? Can I just be really honest with you tonight? I've got to believe that people are getting sick and tired of empty religion because they come to church and go home the same exact way. God Almighty has given us the power to see lives transformed and rearranged and turned around and healed. I wouldn't want to come to church a drug addict and go home a drug addict. I want to come to the house of God and get cleaned up and fixed up and turned around. So my vote my, my is, my, my is, Lord, it may have took 613 to get us here. But now we're standing in front of the Jordan River. And so I'm thinking that we can back this off from 613. Let's just just make this easy. Why don't we just round it up? How about this? How about, Lord, we'll just cross over with 600. Let's just just see if we can work on this just a little bit. And he's got Deuteronomy in his hand. You know, he's the new leader. Got that Bible on you. You got to have a big Bible if you're the new preacher. He's got the scroll under his arm. The Lord stops him. He said, don't let the words of that book right there depart from your mouth. And today, something made sense to me. I was sitting in my office. I'm like, why is the Lord speaking in this language? Don't let the words depart from your mouth. And oh my goodness, it made such perfect sense to me. This is about as deep as a mud puddle. I want to tell you why he said don't let it leave your mouth. Because as a new generation of leadership, somebody's going to come to you and say, this is what Moses told us to do. What do you think we should do? Joshua, this is what verse 8 is saying. I don't want your opinion on what a new generation should do. Don't let the words of this book leave your mouth. When it's time to give an answer, you give an answer from the book. When it's time for you to give a response, you respond from the book. You do not respond from the latest book that you've read. You don't respond from the latest leadership that you've read. You don't respond from the latest conference you've been to. You respond with the book. I know it sounds old-fashioned, but this apostolic jesus name truth that has brought us to this point will absolutely take us across the river. So I'm saying to you tonight that a dispensation of grace, the new guy that's coming along, does not mean whatsoever that now we've got a greater buffer and that we can do more of what we want to do and still be saved. I can't imagine. I really can't imagine. I don't ever want to know what it feels like. And I'm not patting myself on the back, but I can't imagine what it would feel like the first Sunday you got up in front of your congregation and said, we're not preaching that anymore. Like, I wish you could feel the chills I've got on my spine right now. Knowing that God has put me on the wall of this church and has sent us precious people through the years that the reason you're here is because you heard the statement that I just made. Like, you're here because you love truth. I know people look at us and say, oh, yeah, but that's your crown jewel, you know. You hardliners. I've been telling our ministry for quite some time now, and I, I, God knows my heart. I am pure before men, and I'm pure before God right now. My motive is pure. I've been telling them that I'm so frustrated that people look at us and think, like, this is something we've just started preaching Like, we just all of a sudden got convicted about this stuff. Right. Well, man, you're just making it hard for people to come to God. Well, if I'm making it hard for people to come to God, what in the world do you think about Jesus? Yeah. Well, well, yeah, but I think you just, I mean, you're going to have to have some flexibility. I mean, I've heard the line, you got to leave room in your theology for reality, you know? If these people go overseas and they... They work on a mission field for such and such uh, religious organization for 30 years and give their life to God on the mission field, but they've never been baptized in Jesus' name. Surely they're not going to be lost. Well, that's not for me to figure out, but it's sure not for me to say, well, I think because they did it, they're saved. Come on. The oh, pastor, that's what, no, no, that, that, that's, man, that's, that's other denominations. No, it's not. It's in our movement. People saying that if you'll just walk in the light that you know, in just what you've received. I had some guys call me some time ago, talking to me, this is called light doctrine. I've preached and dealt with it some here. And I had had some of them call me and talk to me, man, what are we going to do about this light doctrine? I said, what do you mean what are we going to do about it? They're like, what are you going to do with the light doctrine? I said, I'm going to stand up openly and proclaim it's heresy. That's what I'm going to do. I'm going to declare the same thing Jesus said. Except a man be born again of water and spirit he can't see or enter the kingdom of heaven. Yeah, but Joshua, you don't understand. Your church would be a whole lot bigger if you'd buy into it. Yeah, but you don't understand. I've got the law in my mouth and I can't let it depart from me. He said I don't want them to know there's any difference in the Israel that Moses led and the Israel that you're leading. They got to look like they wouldn't like they did with Moses. They got to love the same God they did with Moses. They can't love idols like they did when Moses got them cleaned up. We got to get Egypt off of them. Who do you think you are, Joshua? If you start letting them love Egypt again. Be careful with my people. I got a new revelation, okay? brand new. God just gave it to me. You all are, are ready? ready? Repent yeah. and be baptized, every yeah. one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of sin, and you shall receive the gift of the Holy Ghost. Yes. The language, the language, the language, you know. Pastor, it's just semantics. No, no, no. no I'm sorry, it's not. it's not. Had some folks that should have known better talk to me some time ago and say, well, you know, the more I studied it out, uh, uh, Brother St. Clair, the more I'm figuring out that really there's no such thing as a Trinitarian. They just, they believe in one God. It's a matter of semantics. They really, they're a lot closer to believing what we do than they, than, than they think they are. Well, if it's that close, then why in the world were they killing people for it? Right, right, right. I mean, honest to God. Uh, brother, it, it don't, I mean, technically, if you baptize them in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Ghost, it's still the same thing because we all believe it's the name of Jesus, right? <laughs> well, you, you guys are just too hard, man. You guys are just... You guys are just hard-nosed. I don't think I'm hard-nosed. I prefer to look at it as be steadfast, unmovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord. I, I prefer to look at it as hold fast to the profession of your faith without wavering. Church family, you listened to your pastor in 2020. We've got to keep the law in our mouth. We can't let it depart out of our mouth. We don't need to give people an answer of what the latest church growth conference has said. I want to know what the saith the Holy Ghost. What's the word of God saying to the apostolic church? That's what we've got to be. I'm just about finished. But I got to tell you tonight. That in this day and age in which we live in, and I don't want you being depressed about this. I don't don't want this to end dark. I'm just telling you that in the day and age that we live in, even compromise is being redefined. And I want you to listen very closely to pastor. The nuances of language matter. Because in my childhood, compromise became very visible. I, I, I don't know how to do this without like I don't, I don't want to hurt nobody, I don't, but, but compromise was kind of a visible thing. They showed up, and their hair was missing. Right, right, right. Saw them out, you saw them out, and their face wasn't the same color as their normal skin. Yeah, right, yeah. You, you understand what I'm saying? I'm, I'm, I'm trying to be trying to be real gentle tonight. Right. See them out, and they, they weren't wearing that which pertains to a woman. It was that which pertains to a man. You'd see them at the park playing ball, and they weren't dressing like they used to dress when they played ball. That was compromise. But I want you to listen to me right now. And I'm going to speak to you as your pastor and your shepherd. I want this to be very, very clear tonight. Extremely clear. In this day that we live in, we are not going to see compromise on that level as our number one danger. We are going to see people who continue to look and act and dress like we do. But they just change a nuance Just a very small A very small nuance How do you know pastor Because Jude said it was going to happen Now now listen to me very very closely In his general epistle John said they went out from us But they weren't of us Y'all read that? So stay with me. I'm, I'm, I'm going to get you out early. He said, they went out from us, but they weren't of us. Well, that's kind of rude. John, how would you say that? He said, no, no, let, let, me, let me settle your mind. He said, if they would have been of us, they would have never went out. I mean, John makes it pretty clear that, like, they didn't have it in their heart. But that's not that's not the great danger. These are people that oppose the doctrine. You understand what I'm saying? They get miffed up, and they're like, mm, I don't believe we got to do that anymore, and they leave. And the very next book is Jude. And Jude said, when I started to write to you about the common salvation, something pricked my spirit. And I couldn't, I couldn't just write to you about being saved. He said, I had to write to you and tell you that I want you to earnestly contend for the faith that was once delivered unto the saints why and i'm i am in fast forward mode but why why do why do you say earnestly contend for the faith he said because there are men that have been ordained of old that are going to creep in unaware john johnson they 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 went out they're outside us now Jude said, I want you to not worry about the ones that have gone out. I want you to worry about the ones that have come in and they stay around and they look like us and they act like us. You know what? It sounds awful like to me like Jude had heard the message of Messiah when he said, watch out for false prophets. He said, they are wolves in sheep's clothing. Listen to the language of this, Jude. Listen to the language of this Messiah. He said they're going to look like we look, but the way to tell is not what's covering them on the outside, but what's underneath the surface of them. These are false prophets. We got to be very careful at the nuanced language or we're going to lose it. I preached a sermon several years ago and I've got to hurry. But I preached a language about uh, a message rather about the danger of a dying language. And I had, I had read this study from the National Linguistic Institute that said every 10 to 14 days another language dies in the earth that there are, there are tribes and villages around the world that are losing the power of their language because people quit speaking it. And as the older folks, the elders, die off, then the young people don't speak it anymore. The Aramaic language that Jesus Christ spoke, there's only like a couple villages in all the world. One of them's in, in Syria. I watched a documentary the other day online of these people that speak the language of our Messiah. They're not even Jewish people, but they speak the pure Aramaic language. And I thought, oh, how amazing that is. And this is what they said. They said, we always speak Aramaic to our children because we want them to know that the language is valuable and we're the only ones that speak it anymore. Can I tell you right now that if we don't keep it clear and clean cut and keep it in our eyes and our minds and in our mouth, the word of God is right. If we don't do that the next generation of apostolics won't even know what we are it won't even exist and at the coming of the Lord what's going to happen is he's coming back for a weak anemic feeble church but you know what that was not the prophetic image that John saw he said I saw a number that could not be numbered they were overcomers they overcame by the blood of the lamb and the word of their testimony these are the overcomers can I tell you right now that God has always had a church and God will always have a church he has always had a remnant and God will always have a remnant We've got to be careful in closing tonight that we don't buy into the salvific language that's being thrown around of people, so called leading people to Christ. They've got to pass through the water, Moses, and they've got to get under the cloud. Listen, I, I, really don't have time to t- I really don't have time to teach this. I, don't, I really don't. The Lord brings them out of Egypt. They cross through the Red Sea. They get under the cloud. Joshua becomes the leader. What's the very first thing that happens with Joshua as far as the schedule of events? They cross over Jordan. you know why? Because every generation has got to pass through the water. And they got to get under the cloud. Yeah, but I, I, I want to see walls fall in Jericho. Well, that's good, but it's not going to happen on this side of Jordan. No, you go through the water. Yes, mm. ah. Could we stand together tonight? I'm going to preach and teach as strong as I've ever preached and taught in my life. Come on. I preached a sermon. I don't even know when it was. Probably within the last year. Or two. I was at Bishop Sister Bingham's house. My mama brought out uh, my great grandfather's old briefcase. And uh, Uncle Mike, I went through his Bible, and I think you may have seen this the other day. Inside that Bible, there were handwritten notes in there. He took an eight and a half by eleven piece of paper and made it six pages of notes, if you can understand that. He tried, it was a trifold. He wrote one sermon on this side and then one sermon on the next and one sermon on the next. It was like six sermons on one piece of paper, eight and a half by 11. And on that paper, there was a sermon out of the book of Psalms that God hates every false way. I'm going to be very bold with you tonight, and I want to tell you that I'm thankful to pastor a church that loves truth. Amen. I'm thankful to pastor a church that loves truth, but it is not enough to love this truth. You've got to despise iniquity. It's not enough to say, I believe there's one God and I love that. You've got to learn how to hate every false way and love people that are caught up in that false way and figure out a way to get them out of darkness. Pastor, that's not fair. That's not fair. That's why we're here. That's on us. You know, a drug addict don't need to be criticized. Like they already feel messed up. I know, I know you think they're all messed up because they're homosexual. And oh my Lord, those people are messed up. Yeah, they're messed up all right. They're broken people. and They need to know that somebody loves them enough That as their father, he's not going to do to them what their earthly father did to them that caused them to fall into this way. But you will never ever win them to the cross by patting them on the back and saying, honey, you just stay like you are. We've got to learn to love those people and hate the false ways. The only way we're going to, going, to, going to defeat the doctrines of Rome is to despise the Roman iniquity. We're not going to be able to bring the Roman culture into our churches and into our families and then say, but we don't like what Rome preached and taught. We have to set our foot and establish it in an upper room in Jerusalem on the day of Pentecost and say, this is what we are, this is what we believe, we refuse to be anything else. I'm not opening up my mind to a new doctrine. I believe that you got to be born again of water and spirit. I believe you got to live holy. I believe you got to be separated unto God. I'm asking you that if in 2020 you want God to give you a love for truth like you've never had, that you'd raise your hands to the Lord right now. You will never know all there is to know about truth until we get to the other side. You'll never know all there is to know about God. You'll never know all there is to know about truth I promise you that But one thing for sure We've got to love what we know and keep digging deeper Because God hates every false way And we cannot profess to love Him But not hate what He hates We cannot profess to love God And not despise the things that He despises I want everybody in this world to know That I love them and I'm reaching for them I want them to know that I'm a safe place they can come to without criticism and judgment. But I want them to know that they're not coming to me for me to agree with them. They're coming to sit down with me because they they are hungry for a right path, for a path of righteousness. Church family in 2020. My prayer for us is that this word would not depart from our mouth but that it would be in our hearts and our minds and that it would keep us and establish us. There's a good chance that I'm going to get to heaven and find out that there were some people that I'm pretty shocked made it. I'm just being really honest with you. Because the kingdom of God is probably a little bigger than my personal convictions. But I would rather be surprised and get there and find out that they made it Than for me to stand before God and Him say to me, (laughs) Why'd you lean to the left and the right? Is it for success? Built a big church, made a big impact on your city, fed people, loved people, bought them clothes, but son, I don't even know who you are. You worked iniquity. Isn't that crazy? He said, when they come to me, they're going to talk to me about their ministry. We healed sick and we cast out devils. Did it all in your name. And he said, but I, who are you? I'm going to do all of that and I'm going to do it in his name, but I'm going to do it with clean hands and a pure heart. And I'm going to ascend into that holy hill and stand in the holy mountain of God. Father, thank you for truth. Thank you for a church that loves truth. God, we're not walking out of your word whatsoever when we declare that we hate every false way. We want to fall in love with you so much that nothing else is appealing to us. And when Babylon comes riding up, we won't admire her. Our focus will become the throne that is before us and not Babylon that's around us. Teach us your ways, Master. Teach us to love you like we've never loved you and to hold fast to truth. God, without wavering to give our very best to you and to your kingdom and to our community and to our friends and families and those that are around us, let us fall so in love with you that they become jealous of our relationship and say, I've got to have that in my life. Help us, God, to fall so in love with you that we literally provoke Jerusalem to jealousy. That the coming of the Lord that is so imminent would rest upon us and we would hear the trumpet sound and the eastern sky would part. And we would be called away. Teach us. We're going to thank you for it. In the mighty name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, let the church say amen. Amen. I love you.